You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we have a great one for you. We got a special guest on the pod, Joe Trinzi, and he comes in and talks so much about the great data that you need to be taking in your gym, the top stats that he looks for, and the way that he broke some of this stuff down was incredible. And he actually, not only did he break down the top stats that we need to focus on, but he also talked about how to train it. And I think that's more important than just knowing what stat to look for, but how do you improve that stat? How do you train it? So he walked us through exactly the top stats that he that he uses in his game. Um, he talked about how to train it. He talked about how to look for it. Um, and then he also got into how he trains with his team on a regular basis. This entire episode is super helpful. You're going to want to take a ton of notes on this episode. So if you're driving, you're going to want to come back to this. But it's an episode you definitely don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is... The Volleyball by Design Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 167 of the Volleyball by Design Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well. Another week of volleyball in the books. Uh, just a couple updates here. I um, hope a lot of you coaches were able to sign up for the free coaches workshop that took place last weekend. Uh, it is you know, I got a ton of great feedback, and it's one of those ones I run every year. So right before the season starts, hope you got a chance to, you know, get um, get get some efficiency training because that's that's what that workshop was about. And if you are interested, Digital Volleyball Academy doors will be open until for the next couple of days at least. If you're listening to this, uh, before the end of August, um, but before, uh, but actually that's really the only update I want to give you guys. Um, we have a special guest on today on the podcast. Oh, actually, sorry, one more thing. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. My name is Coach Brian Singh, and I'm the host of the podcast. And thank you so much for being here. And if you are a, new, uh, a regular listener, as always, you know the goal of each episode is to deliver value, something tangible, step-by-step strategies that you can take back to your team and apply right away. And I think that's exactly what we're going to do today because we have a special guest on the podcast. Um, I guess I've been actually trying to get on for a long time. Embarrassingly, I haven't. And a lot of my listeners have been reaching out to me and saying, I need to get this guy on. I want to hear what this guy has to say about our sport. So for all the coaches out there, um, I, I apologize it took this long, but I want to welcome, uh, well, many of you may know him as the former U.S. video analysis and stats guy behind the scenes. And, you know, he was delivering all that um, video analysis and, and stats to the the women's team uh, in, the, in the U.S. Uh, he'll, he'll kind of talk about that. He's also uh, the head coach of a professional team out in South Korea currently right now. So we're going to get a chance to talk about uh, developing a program and how he's taken over that program. Um, and he was also he also ran a ton of camps and programs uh, all over the U.S. as well as was the assistant coach on the men's Pepperdine volleyball team. So he's let's, let's just say that he has a wealth of knowledge. Um, on both the coaching aspect as well as the data analysis aspect. And we're super excited to welcome Joe Trenzi to the pod. Joe, what's going on, man? How are you? Good, good. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Excited to talk uh, no. to uh, Appreciate it, man. All right, well, you know what? Reaching out to you, you, you kind of, you know what you want? How about this? Let's um, let's do a quick intro, like a, you know, a 60 to, to two minute intro of yourself, your volleyball journey and kind of where you are now. Yeah, you know, I think just... Uh... 
just a gym rat, like probably a lot of people listening to this. I grew up in the gym. Parents were coaches. Older sister played. So I kind of graduated from ball boy to stat boy and to start in coaching and refing and whatever, all that when you're in high school. And then uh, I played in college. But even uh, when I was playing, I was loving to coach and kind of always knew that I wanted to coach in some fashion. And then uh, coached juniors, coached high school, boys and girls middle schoolers, all the way up to that. Eventually uh, coached at the collegiate level women's, got involved with a USA national team. Uh, like you said, kind of started as like practice player, stat guy, just any whatever I could do, you know, like a lot of young coaches do, just whatever jobs needed. And uh, just kind of started to carve out a niche in uh, kind of the earlier days of data volume when the analysis was really starting to hit, hit the scene. And uh, when Karch took over as the head coach, that was something that he valued a lot. And I kind of brought me on board as full-time with USA Women through the uh, Rio Olympics while I was doing that. Like I said, I was assistant coach for men's at Pepperdine. I coached pro guys over in uh, in Germany. So I kind of bounced all around. I mean, honestly, I kind of feel like I've been uh, pretty broad. Maybe yeah. not one of these guys where I've been with one program for 20 years. Uh, but I've, I mean, boys, girls, men's, women, indoor, beach, pro, universities. So I kind of did a whole lot of stuff on, on that end. And uh, yeah, now the, the journey is taking me out to South Korea. So I'm a head coach in a women's pro team out here. And uh, yeah, it's been a journey. <laughs> oh, that that is a journey. But you know what I like, though, is that you're going to have a, such tremendous insight from all your experiences that I can't wait to hear hear how you've put that into your own coaching philosophy and now being the head coach uh, of a women's program out in South Korea. So let's let's dive into that because um, and you sent me some great talking points, by the way. So I'm just going to take whatever you your talking points and kind of speak to that. So let's talk about uh, assessing your team, um, understanding the level of play and, and how you and creating metrics. Well, I can't wait to talk about that. And then uh, your initial meeting with players, as well as your uh, planning your your season, as well as your training week. Uh, funny enough, we just we I hosted um, a couple weeks ago. I hosted a um, a two day workshop, and the, the theme of that workshop was was planning a, su a successful volleyball program. Uh, so I can't wait to hear how you're planning your successful volleyball program and what coaches can take away. So floor is yours. Uh, anything you want to share? No, with it's, us? no, it's cool. I'm actually eager to dive into that episode. I haven't had a chance to listen to that one. Um, I was starting to listen to uh, the one you had recently had about uh, meetings, which is pretty cool. I'm kind of excited to hear some of that nice. input because obviously when you get into a new program, a lot of meetings. And, and then uh, ironically, I was interrupted listening to the podcast by a meeting. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to have to want to check that one out more tomorrow. But nice. yeah, just um, in, in the course of uh, taking over a program, especially anybody who's in the women's game, I would imagine is if you're taking over a new program that's going on now, um, Oh, yeah. And even if, uh, if a lot of your listeners are in Canada, the guys, they get going a little bit in the fall, too. Um, so I think kind of the first thing I wanted to do when I was getting out here is just understand a little bit more about the level of play. And it's professional women's volleyball. So, OK, yeah, you're in Korea, but it's not going to be that much different than Europe and, uh, and et cetera. But you kind of want to understand a little bit about the nuances and all of that. And uh, um, so that was kind of the first task. So even like before I got here, I was actually meeting uh, the players in person, I was trying to watch as much as I could of last season. You know, you just, you caught up the video on volumetrics, you know, or, you know, uh, just, just checking that out, uh, both to see the individual players, but also just even some of the other teams. Okay. Let me watch some of the playoff matches and Hey, what, what's common. Cause you kind of get your little meta games of whatever level you're at. Um, so, okay. A lot of the teams are blocking in this particular way. And maybe that's got some similarities, but also some differences. Uh, to, to maybe the more common 
type strategies in, in North America and stuff like that. So that was a, a huge priority for me was just getting a feel even before you start putting metrics down, even before you start really putting too much pen to paper, just getting a little familiar um, with kind of the style, just kind of the style, uh, try to kind of put yourself in the mindset uh, of that. And of course, you always want to make um, false assumptions and stuff like that. But I wanted to be able to, when you're starting to meet people face to face, hey, oh yeah, I remember when we played this game against so-and-so last year, I wanted to have at least a passing knowledge of who they're talking about. Um, so, so that was, that was kind of my first thing. And then from there, it's a little bit more of a uh, tangible statistical analysis to try to understand uh, some of the metrics that are important for success at this level. I'm sorry, I was muted. Okay. Uh, first of all, amazing. So let's, I think that goes right. I don't think I need to, uh, ask any questions on assessing your team. That's a, that makes sense to me. And you know what? I kind of wish I did that. When I, when I first took over my college program, I thought I knew the ins and ends and outs in it, but you know what? You don't really know until you start getting onto like volumetrics or whatever and, and breaking down what the league looks like. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Okay. So let's getting on, let's get, get into diving into the metrics that you spoke of there and yeah. What, what'd you look for? Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that's pretty simple, you know, there's a few ways you can do it, but um, so for me, obviously I'm looking at, side out percentage and in particular i want to i look at earned side out percentage um so basically side out percentage but you're taking out opponent service errors so that's always uh okay oh, hey, can, you, can you explain that again so side out percentage earned side out percentage what does that mean yeah so earned side out percentage is basically you're just removing opponent service errors from the equation so uh how often you side it out when they actually the other team actually served in gotcha because that because i mean if you're looking over a whole season, it's basically going to equate um, unless some team has some kind of crazy home field, home court advantage or something like that where people miss more serves. But essentially, but for me, like just in terms of the training gym and all of that, I, I, I'm kind of always just looking at, did we actually earn the side out? Um, so I just tend to pick one of those. So I tend to pick earn side out. So how often when they actually served in, did we side out? Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, a few ways you can do it, but just one of the easiest ways is, okay, just take all the teams in your league or conference or, you know, kind of whatever manageable sample and just rank them from one to whatever in that category and just say, okay, uh, for our goal, say if your goal was to just be in the top half of the league, you look at what the average would be. If your goal is to make the playoffs and top four make the playoffs, then, okay, you look at what, what it would take to be the top four in that category uh, and so on and so forth. Um, so that was one of the first things I did. And then kind of the two pieces of that are, uh, uh, statistics I call, I call make them play. So basically how often did you get when the other team serves in, did you produce an attack? Not even necessarily a kill. So you're taking reception errors out. You're also taking, uh, like, uh, to use the, uh, volume, you know, the data volume parlance R slash. So overpass or shanked pass that led to a free ball so not not quite a direct reception error but a reception that didn't produce an attack and then also unforced attacking errors so basically how often are you getting some kind of attack hitting the ball in the court at least making them block you and sorry then, joe you got you got to go over that one more time okay so so it's called the make them play stat yeah make them play okay so the make them play stat what is that exactly again so this is basically when you coach just you're coaching juniors volleyball high school kids whatever like that Hey, the other team, sir, I, I'll tell you, 
it's so funny because you coach professional. Okay. You think everything is going to be super advanced. But I can remember the first year I ever coached boys high school volleyball. What I would do in after some initial kind of warm up, okay, you got to get into your practice. I'd say, okay, we're playing six versus zero. All I'm going to do as a coach is serve a ball in and you can't tip it. You can't free ball it. You have to jump and spike it. That's all just me, just me on the court. Okay. So assuming if you can receive the ball and spike, jump and spike it in the court, you're going to win the point. And at the beginning of the season, I would beat the, beat those guys every time. Cause you know, it's high, it's high school boys. And especially right, right. in that area, lacking the ball control and they want to go up and wham every ball and they'll hit them in the net. They'll hit them out the back. They can't pass very well. And just to understand the importance of ball control and hitting the ball on the court. Hey, if you, if, if all the other team has to do is serve the ball in, so that means your make them play would be under 50% because more than half the time you're, you can't produce an attack. You're given a free ball or making an error. And uh, okay. If you kind of look at a, a higher level, you want to be over 80%. So that means your combined reception errors, hitting errors essentially are going to be under gotcha. 20%. So that's, I, love that. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a basic thing because it's just pass the ball up and hit the ball on the court. But right. I mean, at the end of the day, that's a lot of what your success is. If you, if you're too high error, then being low error doesn't guarantee that you're going to win, but right. being high error probably guarantees that you're going to lose. That's so, so great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Be so before we start building all the offense, and, and we got a ton of offensive stuff that uh, we're trying to get in place and that we're excited about, but just that's an activity that we do um, two times a week is just, we could just call it four spikers. So you're just getting in your, in your normal services. Yeah. And uh, we got to, you got to produce 10 attacks before three reception or hitting errors. So that's, so you'd be 10 for 12, essentially 10 to two, 10 for 12, which that's over 80% make them play. So you just, you, you're getting a live serve and 10 out of, you got to go 10 for 12 producing an attack. Um, and then the way we do it is you, every time that you get an attack, you rotate. So basically you got to get two clean attacks out of every, every rotation to clear. And uh, you know, it takes like four minutes. So then you can do a bunch of different pairs and, We'll go through a bunch of different yeah. combinations of players and all that. I've but done this before. We, it's actually really yeah, good. Yeah, One time yep. it took like 30 minutes to get through it. Uh, yep. at the young right. age, yeah. And and that's, I always do the same thing. So if you don't get it, dashi, as it is in uh, Korea, I'm sure I'm butchering that, but uh, they'll <laughs> yeah. humor me at least with my Korean pronunciation there. And uh, then, then immediately do it again. And yeah, sometimes if you have to repeat it two or three times in the rotation, but uh, that's something that, that we do pretty regularly just to emphasize the importance of of being low error, passing the ball up, hitting the ball on the court. So ten, so ten, produce ten attacks before two errors. Before three errors. Before three errors. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So, continue. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, and then the kind of kind of the conjunction to that is first ball kill, which obviously a lot of people are looking at. So you have the low error standpoint, and then you have the terminal standpoint. So right. if you're failing, if, so the the key is to side out, and then the two pieces of that are one being low error and then two being more terminal. So if you're failing to meet your side out target is because you're too high error or because you're not terminal enough. And so those are, that's like kind of the three cornerstone metrics that are pretty broad, but, but they kind of drive everything else. And when you say terminal, you mean like to terminate the ball? Yep. Kill. Yep. Oh, got it. So direct kill off your first attack out of service. Yeah. Oh, this is great. Okay. So we got, uh, okay. So I, I'll go back to your side out percentage. Um, I love the ranking them at the at the highest level. So you do you, you use some kind of like you use volumetrics, so you have data on each team. Um, yep. so you can do this. You recommend yep. like 
what how other teams and other leagues that don't have access to data volley or anything like that could do something like this or is that impossible it, it, so if, if you're trying to get uh, more granule you probably need some kind of da- uh, data source whether it's data volley or something like that yeah. but uh but but the thing is we know it pretty generally so if you're kind of professional women earn side out you're looking at like 60 like you can kind of broadly think 50 60 67 so 50 percent or one out of two, or 60%, three out of five, or 67%, two out of three. And that's basically high school. You're looking at over 50%. Earn side out is pretty good. Okay. If you're talking uh, strong level, high level university, or kind of professional women, you're looking yep. at 60%. And if you're looking at kind of high level men, you're looking at like 67%. Gotcha. So, that. and then if you're some, if you're kind of a blend, between those, say maybe you're like a second, uh, a division two university team. So you're stronger than a lot stronger than a high school program, which maybe not quite a, a top level women's team. Hey, okay. You're somewhere in between 50 and 60%. And you can kind of, kind of dive into where you're at there. But, but I, I always, it sounds weird because from my knowledge, I like to be pretty granular. Oh, is, is it 65 or 64? Mm-hmm. But, but I try to, as much as possible, put things on a human scale because ultimately it really only matters what you can train. So I try to have things in a human, what I mean by human scale, like 50%, 60%, 67%, 75%, because those round into drills. Right. You know what I mean? So I want to try to like, okay, how does it fit? How does it like divide by? So if it's like 60%, then that's, Hey, you got to be three out of five or six out of 10. Right. And that allows you, probably I'm not the only coach that has found, the first step to being good for a whole match is being good for a short period of time. So you play mini games, right? You got to get three out of five to, to rotate, or you got to get six right. out of 10, whatever it is like that. So your team starts understanding, Hey, maybe we're not the be- the top team in the league yet, but we can perform like the top team for short periods of time in practice. And then you work on lengthening that time. Oh, I like that. That's great. Uh, just uh, as we're on the topic of side out percentage, uh, is there anything particularly that you do to train side out? to improve your team's efficiency? Man, I can't imagine it's uh, anything necessarily too different, but right. probably just that uh, we, we do it every day. I mean, um, I don't know if it's a tangent. Uh, we could go into the training, kind of how I structure the training sure. uh, week now or uh, how we do it. But uh, I mean, we have a couple days that are a, a week that are pretty heavy side out focused. Like for sure, just for me as a coach, I think uh, I put, offense before defense especially since i'm new to this program taking over a new program and the team has been at the bottom of the league uh and i so i feel like um if you want to be great you have to be good offensively and defensively but just going from kind of bottom to trying to push into the playoffs i think if you can't side out you definitely can't win um you probably can't win a championship without being good defensively but you can probably get to the playoffs just on offense and, and then I think just, uh, it, it, I just, I hate being sloppy and side out in practice. I think it just makes the whole practice bad. So we've just really been driving hard on, on side out. And uh, just, I mean, for me, it's uh, probably just a very crude way to think about it, but I just kind of think about it in terms of uh, one spiker, two spiker, four spiker, and then full live play. So what I mean by that is like one spiker, we kind of, you know, we have a typical setup, two courts. Um, so we do that stuff, the wings, you know, the left and right side attackers, the wing spikers, they go on one court and the middles go on another court. 
and you're just you're training uh, whatever it is you could be training in system or out of system but just there's only one attacker so just uh the setter is working on dialing in that particular set okay um so just today with the middles we're just dialing some push so kind of pushing away from the setter trying to dial that set in and uh so and then the outside attackers they're working on a couple specific things and then we go into some two spiker combinations so uh you know, because we're a professional team, so we're utilizing a back row attack. Uh, so sometimes it's uh, like middle pipe, just how we overlay that, because we have some specific ways that we yeah. uh, combine combine the middle with the pipe. And then, um, or the middle with a left side attacker or a middle with a right side attacker um, to uh, work on putting pressure on one short area of the court, because we're generally running our middles towards one side of the court or the other. Right. Uh, so we have a, so we have a, a kind of a short side overload and then a long side isolation. Yep. Um, so we kind of work those in combinations. So then you're working instead of working against one block, you're working against two blockers. So just um, to, just to confirm, yep. so short, uh, I, just to make sure everyone's on the same page with coaches, uh, short side is basically when you're, uh, you're basically overloading a zone. So like your overload yep. pipe or whatever. Um, and then long side is, you know, putting the middle on a 61, for example, to free up the left side or, or creating that yep. separation. Exactly. Yeah. So kind of that classic, if your middle goes, I don't know if you call it a 31 or a B quick or whatever you call whatever, it. Whatever, yeah. So it's your, mid, your middle your is going in that 3-4 scene. Right. Away, kind of away from the setter towards your left side attacker. Yeah. That I call that kind of the short side because you got gotcha. two attackers flowing over there to the right side. And then, you're, then your right side attacker who's kind of isolated over on the gotcha. long side. And basically the purpose of that is because teams are going to have – some teams are going to kind of stay more in a stationary read. And the way to beat that is by overloading. So right. if their middle, if their middle's not going to follow your middle, you run them in, and then then you kind of get two attackers on one blocker, really two attackers on the right side blocker. And if they play a, a following system where the middle's going to follow your middle, then you have one on one on the backside, or sometimes even one on nothing, depending on how you interleave the pipe. Um, and if it, you know if they if they kind of leave that pipe open, which in the women's game. There's not a lot of teams. It's it's still the the pipe is still kind of evolving in the women's game. So right. most women's teams aren't prepared to block it very well. Um, Can I just hold on one sec? Yeah. For a sec, that, that that was a great point you brought up, but I want our listeners to catch that. So what Joe said is like offensive one on one. If you think about it, if the middle is staying neutral, meaning the middle is not is not moving from the middle of the court they're in a they're in a read situation and they're waiting for the setter to set the ball before they move that's called being neutral then joe's talking about setting up his attacker so we can exploit that middle if the middle staying neutral you know you might have that 30 or left side open in a certain zone because their their middle staying neutral however if the middle is fronting the other middle which means following the other middle so if your middle attacker runs a 30 for example that middle blocker is going to be right in front of them the middle attacker runs a 61 behind the setter, that middle blocker will be in front of them. So wherever that your middle attacker goes, that middle blocker goes. And knowing that, <clears throat> excuse me, we can free up a lot of one-on-ones or potentially one-on-nothings, like you mentioned, because the middle will always be falling. So if the middle runs a 31, that means the right side will almost guarantee to have a one-on-one every single time. So that's a really, really good point. That's like offensive one-on-one and how you should be thinking about offense. So appreciate that. Uh, sorry to cut you off. Continue. <laughs> No, I mean, you put it in a nutshell, it's essentially exactly that's everything in our offense is, is based off of. And, you know, you can get into all the nuances that you want. Do you want your middles approaching into that gap straight on? 
or do you want them to create an angle? Do they jump through the ball? Um, do they jump straight up? You know, like you have a lot of nuances that go into it at the higher level, but that's all it boils down to. Right. Um, it's you, you overload one zone, you isolate the other, and then your setter has to learn uh, and some combination basically of uh, you're helping them see it, you're giving them feedback, they are seeing it in their peripheral vision or possibly even with a direct look as they're preparing to set. So you're talking about looking are... at the middle blocker, right? Yep. Okay, got it. Continue. So basically just the various sources of information to understand how they're playing you. And then usually it's over the course of a match, there's going to be some evolution to it. Like if you're just right. killing them in one area, if they're any good, they're going to adjust. And then so basically everything as we train the offense is – kind of the escalating pieces of that. So you got to train, like, like I said, one spiker. I mean, essentially that's hitting lines, one spiker, I mean, it's hitting lines. Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the day, it's hitting lines with just however you want to teach it and whatever constraints that you want to put on it. Do you hit it against on an open net or against the blocker or sometimes against the kind of block it pad that is untoolable, you know, <laughs> so then you have to hit a, a specific yeah. uh, angle and stuff like that. And, and, but just you train it up and then and then you go from from uh, one spiker at a time to two spikers. And then usually, actually, a lot of times what I do is I kind of um, I, I will be basically behind the offense. So the blocker is looking at me and, uh, you know, it's just training. So I tell the setter, don't look at me because I'm giving the blocker some signals. Because right. then because then what I'm going to try to do is. It, so, for example, uh, it's pretty standard if your setter is front row. And the middle's running a quick in front. A lot of opponents are going to stack that left side blocker in, and kind of dare you to set that back row. That I don't know if you guys call it a D ball or a, an eighty or a sixty yeah, or whatever you want to C, call it. C or D ball. So basically, you're fronting the setter, like their yep. their block is front in the setter, and you you try to force them to go C or D. Yeah. Yep. Very so, common strategy. Very common strategy. So okay, like that's what we did on Monday. Um, so, okay, you got a middle and a left side blocker over there. And then we got our middle and our back row opposite. And then also the front row center. So that's uh, another aspect. I think sometimes, especially in women's volleyball, you don't let that setter be as much of an impact as, as could be because just that quick flick behind back into zone four that that blocker stacked in um, because then you get one of two things. Either the libero has got to come up really high in the court to pick up that tip, in which case they're real shallow or right. they're real high in the court to defend against that D ball who can hit line. So, but just that kind of scenario. And sometimes I'll do it. Okay. So that, that combination of middle and um, wing spiker, they got to get four kills to get out of the drill. And if I'm giving the blockers signal to pinch in every single time and they can't beat it, they can't beat it. They can't beat it. You got to figure out a way. So the setter, the setter has got to figure out a way to set the ball and the hitter's got to figure out a way to terminate that, terminate that ball. Um, if they're having trouble beating that pinch. And then for me as a coach, it's like, okay, uh, maybe we got to go back to the drawing board and train that up or it's right. happening. You know, they're kind of figuring out that scenario. So basically that's kind of like the, the in-between you're going from just your kind of one hitter at a time hitting lines, but it's not quite a full six person offense. Uh, and then once you're there and then we go and then the, the final piece before, before you go live is just your full six person side out offense, siding out off a live serve. And then a lot of that is your hitters and setters seeing the quality of the pass. So yes. is it a, is it a good pass when we're in system? Is it kind of a medium pass? And then the, the big decision there is, 
do we keep the speed fast or do we slow it down to a high ball? Right. Or is it a bad pass? And maybe the setter can't even get there. Somebody's got to step in, put up a hittable bump set. And then the hitter's got to take a smart swing. Like we can't just free ball it over, but we can't right. just make reckless errors. So, so then you kind of, then, then obviously that's kind of the full, the full live piece to it. Okay, man, this is great. We talked about so much stuff here. Okay. So I'm going to backtrack uh, to metrics. So, mm. so far we have the side out percentage. Um, and I love the way that you, it's so simple. Like, I don't even know why I didn't think of doing this just to look at the top teams and see what the average is for the, the side out percentage and get a good baseline. Like that's, mm. that's brilliant. It's so simple. Uh, and then you talked about the, the, the make and play stat, which yeah, I absolutely love that. Are there any other metrics that you think is important for coaches to be aware of um, if yep. we're not already? Yep. So then uh, the second layer for me is just our side out percentage by pass quality. So uh, like an AB pass, we, we say A pass, B pass, C pass, D pass, or like if you guys use a four point scale for right. pass through is like what's the most common way that you refer to it on your show uh, the most common way in the universal system is uh is a, a three passing skill so three yeah. quality pass being the the you know the best and then two one uh zero yeah. etc yep, yep. and the national team we, we use a four passing skill but i think yep. high school is more like three club is more three okay yeah, yeah i and for me I, I don't even put too much distinction between uh four and three because yeah, four is great. It's like that to me. That's like the bonus. So we, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we and even with our middles and, and pipe, we we try to train a lot off kind of like that three pass. So it's a good pass, but not quite perfect. So, okay. but anyway, so basically, yeah. Like, what did you side out off a of three or four pass? Right. What's your side out percentage off a of two pass? And what's your side out percentage off a of one pass? Um, and so, like, kind of broadly speaking, we're trying to be sixty-seven percent or better off a of perfect off a of three-point pass. 60% or better side out off a two pass and uh, over 50. So if you look at it, it's like 55%. It's what the best teams in the league are doing off a one point pass. Uh, so Sorry, 67 on a three. What was the on a two? Yeah. 60. 60 on a two. We got it. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, like 55 on a one point pass. So even, right. even when you, when you pass poorly, if you, if you can set out a system a little bit, you still have the first chance to attack. So you're looking to win more than half the rallies there. Um, right. So, so yeah, so that's, so first you have like just kind of the overall kind of uh, side out and, and error and kill rates and then uh, diagnosing by quality of pass because each, each of them, right. And the reason I do that way is because then that's kind of what training drills you select. Right. So right. If we're, if we're not quite signing out well enough on the in system, then that's, that's the type of drills that we're going to train and, or on the flip side, if it's the out of system stuff, that's the kind of drills we're going to train. Uh, you know, so, so for me, like the, the key with the metrics is, does it change how I'm training in practice? That's the most important for me. Joe, this is unreal. You are going to, you've just changed the way that I look at server receive in terms of training it in practice. I would have never thought to train it differently on a three person pass on a two I, we, we do it side out by rotation and we try to train our weaknesses based on rotation. However, this is so much more tactical. Sorry, man. I'm, I cut you off. I just can't believe I haven't thought of it. This is amazing. Continue. Well, well, it's awesome. I'm, no, I'm glad. I'm glad it's helping. And uh, that was um, something that um, I guess I was lucky enough to, to pick that up from one of my um, just early uh, coaching mentors was Tom Black, who's uh, the head coach at Loyola Marymount. Now he's at University of Georgia. Yeah. And I was, I was his assistant. That was my first job. And uh, that was something that, that we always 
just looked at as part of the post game, like kind of in system side out and medium pass side out, bad pass side out. Uh, and just because with that particular team, actually w- one of the real goals there and one part of his philosophy was he w- he wanted to be a great on the medium pass because that's such a common scenario that does get a little undertrained. You know, uh, everybody always trains the in-system offense because that's like that's your basic hitting lines. And when right. you start getting any kind of middle attack going, you always start with kind of perfect passes. And I think most coaches are doing some kind of out-of-system work where it's just going to be a straight bump set. You know, it's two blocks and stuff like that. But um, kind of those in-between balls where the ball's kind of right on three meters or two and a half meters or three and a half meters, um, that, that can be a real challenge because um, – they, those kind of passes occur a little bit randomly. So you don't always know when, when you occur. And, and there's a real uh, communication loop that needs to happen. And, and the main one is, okay, are we still going to try to force a middle from off the right? Middle? And so first of all, like, are your middles good enough to even warrant that? That's right. Like if, I mean, if your middles are beasts, then you really should try to train it. Because even if you give them kind of a crappy set and they, if they can do something with it, it's really worth training. Um, or, okay, we're not really going to try to force it into the middle, but um, are we still going to try to keep uh, a fast tempo to the outside and how far can we go? So if you're more of a beginning team, you're probably, as soon as you get close to that three-meter line now, just just put it up a high ball. And if you're a more advanced team, maybe even a little beyond that three-meter line, you're still trying to get some speed. But everybody, every team has that kind of crossover point where you can't try to push the speed anymore. You're just going to wind up trapping your hitter and then you need to put it up high. Right. And uh, and just requires a lot of training. And the hard part about it is the main thing that you can do as a coach is just to facilitate the conversation between your setters and hitters and make sure they're doing. I mean, that was actually probably the main, so probably the most common thing that we were working on uh, today. Uh, we had a couple other things, but the main uh, thing when we got into to six on six side out was just really being adamant with our left and right side attackers that they were calling for fast or high every single time. And they were syncing up their approach with that too. Um, right. Like a lot of teams, this this team was in the habit um, previously before I got here of just kind of having a lot of these balls that were sort of in the middle. Right. And uh, I, I like to kind of avoid that medium tempo actually, uh, where it's not really fast enough to get you uh, a split block, but you're not quite high enough where the hitter has um, great vision of the block and, and can really – uh, once you're going to have a double block on you, you might as well keep that ball high so that as a hitter, right. you can make sure that you're a full extension and you have you have all your shots and right. stuff like that. So they had a lot of medium tempo. And like a lot of teams, they were kind of in the habit of just uh, outside, outside, or here, here, here. Yeah, yeah. That specific call that they're going to link up with their footwork. Because if you're asking for it fast, you got to be further along in your approach. You got to be, for us, like all the way through on to your, past your second step. But if you're calling for a high ball, then you really got to wait so you can stay behind the ball. So that was a major point of emphasis. And if we want to be good on medium pass, that two pass, that's that's what we got to be good at. That's so that's such a good point. I I try to preach that too in our gym. Like there's no point in saying, hey, outside, outside. Like yep. be specific with your with your uh, instructions yep. to your setter or that communication. Yeah. Super especially with the middle. Oh man, the middle going on different routes and audibleizing yep. and doing all these great things. Yeah, yeah. I hundred yep. percent agree there. Um Okay, uh, so in terms of training the side out percentage based on a three, a two, or one, is that just as simple as serve and tell the libero to give a bad ball? So, yeah, so it, it starts with kind of um, all the drills that we do. 
So if we're trying to work more on a kind of medium pass, then yeah, we're, we're hitting on like one spiker. Uh, so even just in that kind of one spiker, kind of more individualized drills. Yeah. Like, so if the coach is entering a ball or something like that, I'll, I'll say, yeah, Hey, try to put that pass on three meters. Um, gotcha. And that like that kind of stuff. And also, and, or a lot of times what I will do is, um, so sometimes I might, especially when you're introducing a concept, you kind of let everybody in the drill know about it. Right. Um, but then also sometimes what I will do is I'll just kind of go over to a libero and I'll kind of say, Hey, about every other ball, pass it over into zone two. Gotcha. So let's, because I want to see, we maybe two days ago, we worked on the middle, like for example, just when our middle's on a push, but the pass is over in zone two, then they need to break off the route, you, you know, just based on where the pass location is. Every, everybody has these kind of things, maybe how you're going to vary uh, because the pass isn't going to allow you to run one thing. So you got audible to another. Yeah. Um, and, and we did that in a more controlled thing two days ago. So then coming over to the libero, say, hey, about every other ball, put it over into zone two on purpose. And then, so that's a little bit less predictable for the middle. So that's me kind of seeing where they're at. Are they picking up and transferring that concept or do we need to go kind of regress it one level back and, and work on it in a more controlled setting until they really understand it? Okay. No, this is, yeah, this is great. All right. So we have side out percentage, earned side out percentage. I like the not just a regular side out percentage. Uh, we have the make and play stat. And we have the side out percentage by pass quality, three, two, one, or four, whatever you're using. Anything else in terms of important? Because this is this is blowing my mind just by the, some of these alone. Is there anything else in terms of metrics that you look at? Yep. And then my last three. Um, to do it. Then, then the last three are just good pass percentage. You know, so three point pass percentage. Yep. And then the flip side of that is uh, uh, we call it like the dead ball percentage, basically. Uh, so it's reception error, but also overpasses and uh, shank passes that lead to a free ball. Okay, so reception error, overpass, um, plus shank that leads to overpass, or that leads to yeah. like free ball. Yeah, shank that leads yeah. to free ball. So, so basically it. anything where you can't get any kind of attack on. Got it, got so, it. Yep. So uh, for us, we're, we're, we're trying to get that um, good pass percentage, it, it, right about 60%, it's just in, in kind of this league that's, um, which is being that's kind of like professional women's volleyball. You're, you're kind of seeing high, uh, depending on how term, you know, like how physical of the lineup or more of a ball control lineup you play. Yeah. You're seeing high fifties, low sixties, um, and then we want that kind of that uh, DF per percentage that or the kind of uh, shank pass percentage uh, under under nine, so kind of uh, in the eight percent, maybe like you know four percent direct ace and maybe four four percent um, shank pass. But so just, uh, yeah, which, which is that's one of basically it's like one out of 12. So, again, you kind of think about like as, as we kind of link it to uh, um, a lot of these drills, we'll do kind of this four spiker drill where it's basically you're going two times in every rotation. And in order to win that drill, you got to make two errors or less. So, on 12 receptions, it gives you one passing error, one hitting error, basically, if you kind of think about it. Not that you want to make one, but like, yeah. okay, you get one, but you probably can't make two. Sorry, say, uh, say that yeah. drill again. Is it a two spiker drill or four spiker drill? So uh, four spiker, so full, which which four spikers and then oh you have full, a yeah, that's right. With, with a center and a libero, so that's just your full side out offense. Um, gotcha. If you're using a back row attacker, um, yeah. so basically, yeah, you're getting two balls in every rotation, twelve balls total. Yeah, and then now you're trying to make 
one or fewer passing error, one or fewer hitting error, and and then you can go 10, 10 for twelve. Gotcha, and that could be like any and like anyone is hitting that. You just ball over exactly. at yep. anyone. Yeah, okay, got it. So yep. good pass percentage, and so what? What do we say? So on a three point scale, anything above a two? If you're averaging above a two, that's uh, good. Like uh, like for us, uh, uh, it's got to be like a two two three. Okay, kind of at this level, but but if you were um, at, at some other levels, like over two would be good. Uh, again, with, with my with my boys' high school team, once upon a time, if we were at like a one five, that was pretty good for us, <laughs> uh, you know. So, again, kind of kind of scale by the level, right? And then the and then the, actually, the third piece of that, yep. so, uh, is so if you kind of like the top one, it's just general kind of that general side out, like side out, make a play and first ball kill. And then kind of the second tier is the side out by pass quality. And then the right. third tier is the passing metric. So good pass percentage and then, yep. or passing error percentage. So kind of yep. those two are linked. And then yep. the third one is uh, a, a libero volume. So basically the libero share. Um, so what I'm hoping to do is have our libero pass over 40% of our total receptions. So uh, why, why balls, is that? Because uh, our libero is quite good. And, and uh, so for me, uh, I tend to, uh, you know, sometimes you end up with a lineup where your two outsides are pretty even ball. And maybe they're both kind of ball control players, something like that. But right. I think pretty kind of like on this team and probably a lot of teams, you have one of your outsides who's more terminal, maybe not as strong of a passer. And you right. know, there's more of a ball control player. So we tend to, we kind of have a lineup like that. And I also do also like to try to use uh, a passing opposite at times too, because I, um, not that I, my opposite is going to be in every reception, but I want the ability to pull the opposite in and out of serve receive to either help out with a particular server or because by kind of flexing your O one and your opposite kind of in and out, yeah, it, you make it a little harder for some of these uh, float servers who at the, you know, at, the, at the top level, your float servers are pretty accurate. So if they can get a beat on one passer, they can hit them pretty consistently. But um, by having uh, the ability to kind of flex the outside and the, op- the one outside and the opposite in and out a little bit. Um, so basically kind of what I think we kind of end up with is if our libero can pass 40% of our receptions and our ball control outside can pass 40%, then we have our kind of uh, more terminal pin hitters. They're taking 20% or less of the total receptions. And that's going to allow them, they're going to need to pass some balls. We can't just go to a straight two person especially because we got some, some spin servers, so, you know, some spike servers in the league. So we can't yeah. do a straight two part. We can't do a straight two person, um, but it's kind of a two plus system. So, and, and that's kind of a metric for me. Like uh, we got a, a strong libero and it's pretty reasonable that like, unless she's, you know, just totally running in front of everybody, she's going to pass at a pretty good rate. Like she's going to pass at a level that's going to allow us to win. The question right. is, making sure that she's getting enough balls because if I think like, especially in women's volleyball more than men's volleyball, because there's less spike servers and more float servers. Right. Um, if you play a pretty static libero, like just they're in the standard spots that they're usually in, they, they only pass their third. Like there's a lot of liberos that they're only touching 20 or 25% of total receptions. And then in that case, your outside hitters better be real good. Like, so if your outside right. hitters are real good, like when I was with the uh, USA women's national team, I mean, USA women's national team for years is, uh, you know, Karch has been, a, he's a ball control guy. He's a, he's a great passing coach. He's always emphasized ball control outsides. So a lot of times we just, we played it pretty straight up. Um, right. 
and maybe the libero would only pass 20 or 25 percent of receptions but then you had jordan larson who was every bit as good or better as any libero at passing so it didn't really matter because the outside right. was such good ball control uh but for us we have a pretty clear like terminal outside and pretty clear kind of ball couple ball control outsides right so having that libero get more involved is important for us right okay no, man, I love this. All right, well, as we're getting to the last 10 minutes here, let's uh, quickly transition to planning your training week then. Let's talk yeah. about what a typical training week looks like and how uh, you know other coaches can relate to college level, club level, high school level, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. so uh, first of all, I'll kind of say the more unrelatable aspect because it's a professional team. Fair enough. Uh, so we basically two a days every day. Right. Um, and, but, but there's, but there's a lot of broader applications. So I'll kind of start with the more specific and then I think we'll get to some things that will apply. Uh, so Monday, like Mondays and Wednesdays are our heaviest uh, training loads. So we basically do two full practices essentially. Like, uh, so like the morning practice, uh, we hit some weights, like kind of power oriented weight training, uh, kind of, uh, kind of ma- max intensity kind of stuff. And, um, and then the morning practice is kind of all attack block. Uh, so some one spikers, two spiker stuff. Uh, so a lot of high power stuff. We do some spike serving on that. So a lot of kind of high power individual stuff, one-on-one blocking, that kind of stuff. And then the Monday and Wednesday afternoons are six on six training. So we kind of have our, and, and, and then, so if you're in a setting where you only have one practice, you, you would just combine them into, into two. So instead of, you know, for us, it's like two, two, two and a half hour practices, but right. a college team, that's where you're, two and a half or three hour practice. You, you just do one and, you know, just have a little less time each. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays are our um, lower loads and they're kind of a l- little bit more um, exploratory practices. So like kind of Monday to Wednesdays, the way I view it is like, we're taking the stuff that we kind of already know how to do and we're trying to apply it in, in game situations, pressure situations, high intensity, competitive situations. Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, are more chance to say, okay, hey, all right, yesterday, here's some of the stuff that didn't go as well. So let's go a little slower pace, a little more instructional. Um, so then like it's a less fatiguing load uh, in terms of the training, but also it's like physically, but also mentally. So right. like the, the, then like, you know, I know you've done some of the physical training type too. So then the kind of the weightlifting that we do is more like rehabilitation, rehab, prehab, uh, kind of taking care of the bodies on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then the training accordingly. It's just a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more exploratory. And then Friday we scrimmage. Um, so Friday is just a, a morning session. Uh, long, just, and it's just, we just do a game warm up, uh, and then we scrimmage. And then I also think that's important because um, sometimes I found this at juniors volleyball. I, I can remember uh, being a juniors coach, and it's like, hey, you want to do training and all of this, and then you get to your first tournament, and the girls are like. Hey, uh, what, what do we do for hang lights? What, what, <laughs> yeah. what are we supposed to do for our warm up? <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. oh yeah, hey, we should we should practice that. Um, so I think right. it's like good to practice. Like, hey, this is what your warm up is going to be, both for like kind of physically, but also mentally. Hey, imagine that you're in a men- in, in a match situation. Like, okay, how are you going to put your shoes on? How are you going to pepper with your team? Like those right. mental processes. Right. Because sometimes you're, you're going to. I mean, you may probably know as a player, like you might try out a kind of pre-game ritual and then you get then you're into the scrimmage and it's like oh i don't feel prepared to play okay right. so that's fine so we so basically every friday we, we end the week with uh scrimmage and then and then we're done uh, i like that that's uh that's so strategic okay let's do um so a quick recap here so basically 
we started off this conversation by talking about um, how you assess your teams. So understanding uh, as much as you could from last season, the level of play, getting familiar with the style of play in your league. And I think that, that that's, that's going across every league. That's a, a, an approach every coach should take, especially taking over a program is you want to see what the league looks like. Then we, then we transitioned to um, your metrics. So we started off with side out percentage earned side out percentage. So we're, uh, we are removing opponents serving errors and you gave me some good uh, benchmarks here. So you want to have a side up, an earned sign up percentage, 50% are over for high school, 60% for university, 67% for high level men. And then division two kind of looking at 58 to 60%. Um, what I really like is you said, take all the teams and rank them. Like that's so, that's so brilliant. If you have the data, rank the teams and then look at, see where you want to be. If you want to be a high playoff team, look at the top four and see where they are. So you can have some kind of goal to, to match to. Uh, I mean, I love that. Uh, then we talked about uh, the other stat, make them play stat. Love that one. So uh, they have to terminate the ball. They can't tip or kill, which is actually different than mine. I actually allow them to tip, which I'm not going to anymore. So that is a, that is a really good point. And basically all it is, is uh, you want to try to get, you know, 10 attacks before three errors. So 10 out of 12 uh, you know, in rotation, you have six players in rotation, serve the ball to them. They got to get 10 attacks in a row. Uh, and then that's going to help you with that, that stat that make them play stat. make sure they can at least get the first ball kill. Like you mentioned, you know, the key to signing out. So low error, low error being the emphasis there. Then we talked about the side out percentage based on pass quality. Um, and I love the, the metrics here you gave here. Basically, if you're at a three quality pass, you want to be at a 67% or higher. If you're at a two quality pass, you want to be at a 60% or higher. If you are at a one quality pass, you know, over 50% is great. Uh, if you can terminate balls on 50% on a one quality pass, that that's pretty, that's pretty good. Um, and I like that uh, even the, the side out percentage by pass quality, like that's a really good training tool. And you want to help your athletes train that intentionally. So, you know, put the ball at the three, like you said, you know, tell your libero to put the ball at three meter line so you can practice that, you know, that two quality pass or that one quality pass rather, et cetera. Um, so you have good pass percentage. A good pass percentage is, you know, I think your standard was 2.3 out of three, if that's what you're using. And then dead ball percentage. So, uh, re so we're taking out reception error plus over plus plus shank balls that lead to free balls and you want to be under nine percent so one out of 12 that was that was a really good stat that's one i've never really looked at that i'm going to be starting to look at uh libero volume you want to have your libero volume at 40 percent of balls that'd be a good stack and i, and I agree too because when you have like when you have two left sides normally one's a more terminating left side and a, and a poor passer so yeah if that, libero takes a lot of that load that would definitely help your offense um i like yeah. that and uh, just to kind of interrupt you there, no, no. Uh, at the at the juniors high school level, it's uh, it's definitely possible to go over fifty percent there because uh, the target like a, there's a lot of serves into into zone six there, and if your yeah. libero is pretty active about watching that, you can get that over fifty percent, uh, and you can kind of single handedly side out well, <laughs> even if you only have one first per player who can pass well, just because right. juniors teams don't tend to target serve very well. That's that's a great point. Uh, and then we transition to, uh, offense before a defense, right? You got it. Well, you have to do both, but I love, I love your point. You, you can, you can make the playoffs just by having a good offense. So, uh, that's so true. If you can't side out, you can't win. Um, and you talked a little bit about how, how you train that, you know, basically two courts, um, you, you go from one spiker to two spiker to four spiker working on the side out percentages. Again, having them see the, see the pass, see the set, make the kill and, and I, and I like that you're, you're statting this as well. Like you're giving them a like nine out of 10, you know, eight out of 10. This is, they're not just hitting with no intention or no purpose, not like a regular hitting drill that many coaches do in their gym and, and, and uh, not, not, not nothing against them. They just 
they're, they're not aware of how to be tactical with this. So that's fantastic. Uh, and you know, hitters, uh, and then you work your, your two spiker combination, you know, your middle pipe, your, uh, left side, right side, you know, all that stuff with the middle and, and seeing that over and over again. And then by default, you throw in a middle blocker there. You also can train your setter to look and yeah. make sure your setter has that peripheral and they can start seeing this. Cause that's something that is undertrained in my opinion, at least I've seen it at my level, very, very undertrained. When I get new setters at the college level in our gym, they've never looked, they've never used their peripheral to look at the middle before, or they never had that thought to look and see what the middle is doing so they can act accordingly. So yeah, hundred percent that, that needs to have work. I mean, I have a rookie setter this year that I'm still trying to work on this because decision-making is super important. I mean, you know, this, uh, and that, that, that is almost you know, I, I would argue that could be even more important than set location, because if you can have a great set location on a double triple block, or you can have a great decision on a little bit of a poor set, I'll, I'll take decision all day of the week. So, um, yeah, hitters, need, hitters need to be able to make their shots. Hitters need to be able to communicate with the setter. And I love your point on your, your pins got to be yelling, you know, high or fast, like giving them specific cues to your setter instead of just saying outside, outside, right side, you know, uh, that is much more intentional. I, I love that. And then we transition to, uh, talking about uh, training week. So uh, at, at the professional level, you're going to go two days, you know, you have your morning practice, more power orientated uh, weights, uh, attacking the block and stuff like that on Monday, Wednesday, and then the afternoon is scrimmage. And then your uh, Tuesday, Thursday is more uh, lower loads, explore. I like that exploratory practices, working on stuff that you need to work on game situations, all that stuff, more instructional. And then Friday, uh, you're scrimmaging. This has been a fantastic interview. I think that coaches are going to take a ton away. Listen, I've been coaching this game for 17 years and seven years at the college level. And I took things away just by, just, just to be a little bit more tactical in how we're training, which I think anyone can, everyone can improve their ability to train more tactically. I think this will definitely, uh, definitely help. Anything you want to add to this, Joe? This has been great. No, it's it's uh, been an awesome discussion. And uh, if anybody uh, has any follow-up, um, you can always, uh, reach out to me. Um, I, I write on my Substack, smartervolley.substack.com. Right. I and, will uh, link this up in the show notes yeah. as well. Yeah. Talk about and, this. Uh, this is fantastic, by the way. Yeah. I uh, just, you know, I, I write a little mix of, uh, analytical stuff, like the stuff that we talked about. And then I try to incorporate, uh, a lot of the training side too. So it's not just stats, but then, okay, because of that, okay, how are we training? So I'll post up, I'll put like a lot of like short video clips too, like little three, four, five second examples of the setting concepts, hitting concepts, for example, that we're talking about. And uh, if anybody listening here uh, has some follow-up questions or is curious about it, drop me, uh, reach out to me on that uh, Smarter Volley Substack. Uh, tell me you, you heard it on um, uh, the podcast and uh, I'll give you guys a, a free premium month if you, if you heard it from, uh, from Brian Singh at the podcast. Nice. Well, uh, so, I'll, yeah. I'll definitely look it up. Sorry, continue. No, no, that's it. <laughs> yeah, man. No, I'll definitely look it up, guys. For coaches that are listening to this, they um, I I, I was looking at this a couple weeks uh, last week. It is amazing. Even the stuff you offer for free is fantastic. Like the the articles that you that I get, you got a chance to pick your like here, not pick your brain, but rather hear what you're thinking about things and the videos and stuff like that. It's an amazing. Uh, it's kind of like a, a a nice newsletter to wake up to and and get a chance to get a good read. So. I uh, will definitely link that up in the show notes for coaches that are interested, which I, I guarantee you that there will be after listening to this episode. Um, okay. Last question. I always leave my listeners or my guests with this one. Okay. Dead or alive. Who would you want to have dinner with and why? Oh, um, you know what? I think I would probably have to say Jim Coleman because he was a USA 
that we talked about the three-point scale. He's credited with inventing the three-point passing scale. He was like an, oh, okay. an OG back in like the 70s and 80s, uh, was kind of one of the first guys to do, to do stats. So I would have loved to be able to, to kind of pick his brain. He was kind of one of the, the forefathers uh, before me. So that, that's, uh, that's a volleyball guy that I, I'd love to, uh, love to, to go with there. Nice. Yeah, I know. Great. I didn't even know that. That's that's really great insight. Well, listen, Joe, thanks so much. Listen, coaches that are listening to this, you guys are going to have to go. I took a ton. I took a ton of notes here. I'm just looking at my notes. You're going to have to go back and listen to this again because there were so many takeaways. Um, and we went pretty quickly. We banged out a lot in an under a little under an hour. Um, so definitely listen to this again because there's a lot of great takeaways. I will have Joe's info up in the uh, show notes for his uh it's sub substack. That's what it's called. Substack. Yep, yeah. Substack, it's, yep. it's phenomenal. I, I can vouch for it too, coaches. So it's phenomenal. So definitely uh, check it out there and yeah, that's it. That's it. Thanks so much for joining us, Joe. I appreciate it again. And I'll see you guys next week on another episode of the volleyball by design podcast. Take care. All right. Cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.